Welcome to another episode of the Dibbly Dobblers podcast. I am your main host, Callum, <laughs> and as always, joining me is the secondary host, director, producer, and dinner lady, Andrew. How's it going this week? Yeah, not bad. How are you? <laughs> Fine. I'm tired. I've been tired. playing cricket tonight. And I have not this week. You either. haven't. Despite the fact you're going to be missing some because your eyes are getting zapped. They are, yes. Um, so I'm going to miss the next month or so of, of Indoor League, unfortunately. Unfortunately but for our listeners, you're still going to be doing the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and well. uh, good, yeah, because I mean, we use your house, so it'd be a bit awkward <laughs> if, if you weren't going to do the podcast and I'm just like sitting in your kitchen <laughs> recording a one hour monologue. <laughs> I think that sounds like a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, this is the last appearance on this podcast of these, the Gregory Pecks. The Gregory Pecks. Yeah, so, that's well. the, the last time they will be cited on YouTube. They look less like Alan Carr next time. <laughs> Oh dear! But I <laughs> uh, so that, that well, that's why we had to re- we had to reposition the camera. We've sort of moved the angle, but I've still got my cricket shorts on under the tables. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant! I hope the smell isn't too bad, Andrew. I hope the deodorant <laughs> worked. Uh, so it's a uh, an ashes focused episode this evening, isn't it? I don't really think there's much else to talk about. I think you know we've been talking about the ashes sort of throughout the series. Um, and it was just abysmal. So we kind of at point slightly gave up on going into too much detail on it because it just was too depressing. But yeah. um, and probably not a lot to say other than this is rubbish. And I don't think we've got a lot more than that to say about it from no. an England perspective. What well, what we did do was we put out some predictions yep. at the start of the series. Um, I can't remember who each of us gave for man of the series uh it certainly wasn't travis head though no i i went with pat cummins and i think you went with steve smith yeah i think that sounds about right um Um, so i was probably closer to the two of us well yeah um you certainly were um yeah so i hadn't predicted pat cummins to be the leading wicket taker i had said i thought because he was kind of the captain and probably would be one of the leading wicket takers yeah um was kind of my uh, theory for that but yeah Steve Smith kind of fell away a bit he did he had a a poor series actually in it he did it's the first time in four Smith. years his average has dropped below 60 now I mean <laughs> we probably can't slag the guy off too much on that um, but yes yeah. apparently the first time in four years Steve Smith averages less than 60 with the batting test cricket he is human apparently yeah, what did he get? He got 244 runs at an average of 30 and a half. I mean, it's not like a shocker. No. Like, <laughs> it's normal, even very good batsmen have series like that. Yeah, it's the series of a mere, a mere mortal, is yeah. what that is. <laughs> I mean, I know this is kind of going off topic, and we're just talking Steve Smith, but I do think there's a bit of an overreaction to Steve Smith's form. Like, it's a little bit like, you know, if he doesn't... if any player in test match cricket has money in the bank surely steve smith is the guy yeah and he brought out that lesser spotted leg spin as well well exactly five overs of that during the during the series even picked up a wicket so yeah i I think it's just a bit of an overreaction but that was a bit off topic because he doesn't even feature on a leaderboard he he doesn't no so um we'll bring that up for those on the on the youtube channel you'll be able to see we've Put the run scorers and wicket takers on the same screen now. Looking very, very good, that Andrew. I like that. Graphic. Like that. I do. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I like it. Good work. Direct, pro- 
is this partly a producing work? Would this be? Yes, yes, yeah, I would say so. There we go. It's just a Google sheet or Google PowerPoint, whatever. Well, don't give them your <laughs> secrets, Andrew. Come on now. <laughs> Something you can do at home too. So yeah, leading run scorers. <laughs> We've now turned into Blue Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one I preferred earlier. Um, so yeah, man of the series, Travis Head, finished up with 357 runs at an average just shy of 60. Yep, he swapped with Steve Smith. Well, he was still just shy of 60. Like uh, Smith was over it. Well, not now he's not. No, but he was. Uh, still not good as like average Steve Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Which is wow. a bit insane, isn't it? Yeah. If you think of it like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an Australian dominated top five when it comes to the... Everything. <laughs> the runs taken and the wickets. The, the runs scored and the wickets taken. There's only one Englishman on each list. And if uh, we went into many other stats, because I tried to look into a stat that wasn't like chronically depressing, like most ducks and things like that, like there just is nothing that Australia don't just utterly dominate. Yeah, I mean, that was the, the story of the, the series, wasn't it? Yep. Um, so Head, Labuschagne, Root, Warner, and Quadja were the top five run scorers. Um, Kawaja, impressive to get on there, um, only played two test matches. Uh, well, but that's basically one test. Yeah, his second test wasn't any great shakes. No, it's, um, so yeah. Um, and then wicket-takers, uh, Pat Cummins had a good last test and um, took the, the crown away from Mitchell Stark and Nathan Lyon, who was leading the way going who into slumped it. At, who slumped down that leaderboard Did he? fifth. Did he bowl a ball? I don't think he bowled a ball in that test. I don't think he did, no. Which I no, he didn't. believe... Because I saw there was something went out on Twitter about sort of commending him because he took out uh, worn Australian shirts to the Hobart ground staff. And right. they sort of said, you know, what a great gesture, especially from a guy who hasn't even got to bowl a ball on yeah. that pitch. I believe it's the first time in his test match career that he hasn't bowled a ball in a test that he's played in. Uh, that doesn't, I mean, you'd have thought he's picked as a frontline bowler, so it's pretty yeah. unusual. Um, but he still finished in the in the top five. He had 16 wickets. Uh, Mark Wood, the only Englishman with 17. Again, most of them in that last test. He had a very good test yep. in Hobart, picked up nine wickets. Um, Scott Boland, 18 wickets at nine and a half. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if he'd have played all five test matches, it's just like it could have been scary level. You do wonder where he's been. Yeah, I mean, I also I did hear another quite valid point about Scott Boland, and you'd pick Josh Hazelwood to do really well in this series, uh, as yeah. did many people. I think it was a perfectly reasonable pick. You didn't expect, nobody expected him to play effectively no part, because I mean, he got injured as well in that test, and even the test he played. So, yeah. um, but I mean, very much. He was, Boland was kind of the replacement for Hazelwood. Yeah, he was. And it's also actually, how well would Hazelwood, I know Boland's stats are freakily good, but actually how devastating towards the English batsman would a five-test Hazelwood have been? Like? Yeah, it's, it's a valid point. Um, I, think, I suppose, just bringing up the those stats again, just to complete the list. Mitchell Stark had 19 and Pat Cummins top wicket-taker um, with 21. And I think you'd chosen him as your top Australian wicket-taker. Yeah, I thought Ollie Robinson, I backed him. Um, and, well, we'll come on to discussing Ollie Robinson when we move on to discussing with our player ratings that we've done um, yeah. shortly. But, yeah, I think 
Pat Cummings has the makings of being a absolute great. Like, absolutely, yeah. I think Stark and Hazelwood will probably go down as very, very good bowlers. Um, I think you know Cummings will be right, right up there. Um, I think he'll be viewed in the same way as Glenn McGrath. Yeah, but I think by the end of his career, as a quick Australian bowler, I think he will, by the end of his career, be viewed as the the best quick bowler Australia have ever produced. And to be honest, he probably could be good enough to look at ever. Yeah. I mean, he's a, a rare thing with a fast bowler in that he stays fit. Yeah, which ironically he didn't early in his career. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he does, he seems to be, and actually, to be fair, Mitchell Stark proved he can do that in this series as well. Um, yeah. Which takes a lot of your body bowling that fast, so it's fair play to them. Yeah, to play. Uh, obviously, uh, Cummings was unlucky to miss one test as the a COVID close contact. But um, <laughs> of the yeah. what, was it? Was it like twelve people? In yeah, I think there were something like twenty cases uh, in that state, and one of them happened to be having dinner <laughs> next to Pat Cummings, <laughs> planted by Joe Root. <laughs> They're like, mate, you pause again. Get there, get there. We'll pay for your meal. Chris yeah. Silverwood's expenses at the end of the series. <laughs> Yeah, um, th- yeah. You did mention there that we've we've done some player ratings. Yeah, um, we had a discussion over the last twenty four hours or so, uh, and we each came up with player ratings individually, and then we've just taken an average. Yeah, really. I think if we'd have maybe had any that were that far apart, we'd have maybe discussed them out and tried to come up with something. So that's why there's halves there because yeah. n- neither of us have rated them with a half, but obviously where there's been everything has just been sort of you gone four i've gone five or the other way or whatever so yep um so you'll see them uh on the screen if you're watching on the youtube um the youtube uh, on the youtube yeah are you 55 year old yes yeah, yeah. going on, on the internet going on to internet that's it. <laughs> <laughs> on teletext that's <laughs> going to egypt that's <laughs> Garlic bread. <laughs> oh dear, I didn't think Peter Kay was going to make an outing this evening. He'd have anyway. probably done better than most England team, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, he'd have been extremely fast running. He'd have been in his slippers, so he'd have been lightning. <laughs> uh, but we digress. So yeah, I mean, do. it's uh, it's it's a, it's a slightly interesting one for all that Australia did dominate. I think actually one of the things I found when I was doing the ratings is actually when you got down into the bat, you, you take Travis Head out of the equation. When you actually went down into the batsman, you were like, I mean, Marnus Lavashin was the second top run scorer. Yeah. He averaged f- 40, just shy of 42 with the, ba- with the bat. I think it was 41.8 he averaged in the series. And that isn't spectacular. Yeah, 41.88. Apologies. Um, You know, Usman Khawaja, yeah, okay, he had one very, very good test match. Yeah. But that was it. You know, Warner started out very well, and I suppose he was similar to Marlon Slavishin, started out very well, but didn't really go anywhere from that point. Yeah, I mean, he finished with a series average of 34.13, so that's... Yeah, similar to Smith, really. Yeah, and Smith, Harris, and Carey. Really, you would look at that and go, they've had 
relatively poor series. You know, certainly, with, well, I would say actually all three of them have had relatively poor series. As I say, as I, say I think people are overreacting with Steve Smith by saying he, is he passed it? I think that's far too quick to be saying that. But he didn't have a great series, especially yeah. for Steve Smith. Right, little technical error there, you know. We were talking about Steve Smith not doing very well, so, you know, maybe it was apt. But I think the point I was waffling on about was basically, actually, the batsmen haven't been that good in this series. And that actually applies to both sides. And that's probably actually what makes Travis head. That's part of the reason he, I think, is 10. Because it's, yeah. he actually has had an excellent series. And he's the only batsman, to me, that can say that. Yeah, I think so. Um, I agree with you. I'm just bringing those ratings back up on the screen for, for those of you watching on YouTube. We've given Travis Head and Scott Boland 10 out of 10. Um, Cam Green, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins, 9s, uh, Labuschagne and Kowaja, 8s. 7.5s for Lyon and uh, one test, Jai Richardson. 6.5s for Dave Warner and another one test player, Michael Neeser. Uh 6 for Steve Smith and 6 for Josh Hazelwood, again only played in one test. Five for Marcus Harris, who was a real disappointment up top. Uh, had one okay innings. But I think that's not really that surprising. He was the obvious weak point oh, in that Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then Alex Carey, four and a half, because with bat and gloves, he didn't have Yeah, I mean, I, I had him, you were a bit more generous to him, that's where his half comes from. But yeah, I... He seemed, even behind the stumps as the series went on, he actually seemed to get worse. He, he started out looking very confident and assured and people yeah. were say, praising him and, you know, the guys who know what they're talking about when it comes to wicket-keeping and actually he started making some howlers as well. So There was some interesting stuff. So it was, who was dropped in the slips in the last game by the Australians? It was Wokes was dropped yeah. twice. I thought it, the one of the few faults I could find with Australia's bowling and fielding performance actually was that the slip positioning was a bit tight. Yeah, uh, I've I've over the years heard. I mean, Australians pride themselves on being excellent slip fielders. That's always been one of their big things. Is yeah, like, and you that isn't actually that recent a thing. You have over the years heard you know great slip fielders, even guys like Ponton and things who you know. Saying they don't like how it's positioned. Um, I the think one that the one that really stuck in my mind was Kawaja dropped Wokes, um, and they jumped basically all the way dived across the front of Smith. And if it hadn't gone to Kawaja, it was in basically on Smith's hip without mm. him moving. I think if you're able to get across from second slip to be take or try to take a catch on first slip's hip, then you're too close to him. What you mean, like Zach Crowley did to Jordan? Well, he's about 18 foot tall, though. So. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and I he did I... sort of have to... He did sort of dive. But yeah. Whereas yeah. I didn't think Kawaja's was an outrageous... Di- it wasn't that far away from him. Yeah. And as it was on Smith's hip, it was just one minor thing that... I need to find some fault in the Australians somewhere. <laughs> I mean, the... <laughs> Their fielding, to be honest, their fielding overall did become a bit sloppier as the series went on. I think possibly the fact that actually so many of them played so many tests was part of that. Actually, just potential fatigue. Yeah, like Starting to set in. Um, day n- I don't know. I've ne- never played a day-night game, so I don't know. Maybe that's more dif- You know, is it more difficult? I know I find playing with a... P- we play ping-pong cricket in the daytime, but I personally find 
a pink ball more difficult. I know it's meant to be easier yeah. to pick up. I, particularly in the field, find it actually harder to pick up. So I don't know whether these are causes for it. But yeah, um, as I say, I think it's a valid point because it is something I've heard, you know, the kind of guys in the know talk about over the yeah. years. Um, possibly an inexperienced keeper being part of that as well. And, uh, you possibly. know, or, or inexperienced at that level, certainly. Um, and Alex Carey not maybe being... Because it's always the keep, the keeper should set the slips. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's part of the reason. But um, it's not like Wokes made them pay, so... No. Um, there was a point where... Ju- there was a point during that last test where Chris Wokes was averaging more than Joe Root with the bat. And Chris Wokes averaged more than Joe Root with the ball as well. <laughs> yes, Chris Wokes played as a batting all round in this. Yeah, series. so let's let's get on to the the English then, and uh, we'll go through their ratings. Johnny Bairstow and Mark Wood get the top score of seven point five, uh, which would make you a mediocre Australian. Um, yeah, I think probably those two were two two of the few positives. I think that England, you know, if you're going to try and find some positives in it. Yeah, uh, them and Jimmy Anderson, we rated seven as well. Um, he, But I think, you know, I think we sh- we're Broad and Anderson, they're your next two in the ratings. They but are. At the end of the day, we know what we're getting from Broad and Anderson. Like, you'd expect them to be up there. Well, would you? Because there's always the chat of Jimmy Anderson can't do it abroad, and he, he's shown time again over the last few years that he can. Eight wickets at an average of under 24 in Australia for the way that Jimmy Anderson bowls. With an economy rate of 1.97 across the series. Yeah. Like, that, w- that was... 1.79, actually. You're misselling 1.79. him. 1.79? Yeah, less than 1.8 runs and over. What? 1.7? Jesus Christ, that's, that is... That's... Uh, I mean, frugal. I mean, that's... <laughs> You'd be looking for your spinner to, you know, that's the kind of thing you might play a spinner to try and do that role of just hold up an end, kind of, you know, Ashley Giles style, just defensive spin bowling. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, we're probably going to get on to some of the issues around the England setup and possibly how Broad and Anderson are being managed is, I think, is quite symptomatic of one of the problems that seems to be existing around selection in the current England setup. But, Zach Crawley's possibly, without being as big a positive, he showed positive signs towards the end. But yeah, he um, showed that that innings really. Yeah, I think one of the things I've been critical of Wood in the past is that yeah, he bowls fast, but he bowls fast. That's about it. Yeah, I think you saw in Hobart that he was able to combine the fact that he bowls fast with putting it in the right place, like. He he actually it's a discussion we've had uh, on this before is that is Wood the right type of bowler for Australia uh, in the way that he's skiddy but he actually had a lot uh, some good spells of well directed short balls as well yeah. which is what you need to do in Australia to to really succeed so credit to him for altering the way that that he tends to go about his bowling as well. Um, which especially as a well. bowler, you have to be able to you have to be versatile yeah. and be able to change how you bowl because just by even just saying it's Australia, every Australian track will perform differently. Um 
Yeah, I and mean, this whole bar track actually was almost English in the way it well, played. There was an argument to say there was three green tops in this series. You know, yeah. actually, this series should have been lined up for England to have a chance if England weren't so bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so we'll go through the, the rest of the ratings. So as I said, Anderson, a seven, six and a half for Broad. Sixes for Joe Root and Ollie Robinson. Fives for Milan, Stokes and Crawley. Fours for Wokes and Sam Billings, who played that last test. Uh, Jack Leach gets a two and a half. Um, was it um, you were more generous on that one? Yeah, actually? that's purely based on the four wickets and one innings. Yeah. That, I mean, that's it. That's the only... He would be a one otherwise. Yeah. I went with a, a two for him. Uh, Joss Butler gets a two. And then the trio at the bottom of Hassi, Pumid, Rory Barnes and Ollie Pope get one each. I was tempted to give Ollie Pope one more point because he kept well in one innings. But that's not why he was there and he was absolutely abysmal with the bat. So he justifies his one point rating. Yeah, I think Ollie Pope might be in the bin for a little while for the test team because this was where he should have been. You know, we heard, I think you brought this up last week, this was meant to be where Ollie Pope, you know, he plays yeah. at the Oval is the most Australian style wickets that we have. The average is what, 80 at the Oval I think it is? It's something ridiculous and it's well I think if you take county cricket is it not like 99 or something freakish like at the Oval? Well has he not got a test ton there too? Yeah but I think his test average brings it down slightly at the Oval. (laughs) Um, Hamid has got issues playing in Australia yeah. I sort of said that I thought that would be the case in the start and I think that's been proven. I wouldn't write him off so much. I think he'd showed decent signs in England before they came over. I'd maybe try and keep going. Rory Burns in some ways deserves a minus 10 because the manner in which he got out the first ball of this Ashes series really set the tone for the entire rest of the series. And I'm not saying it's Rory Burns' fault that England no. lost, because it's not. But there are key moments that can turn series. And the reality of it is, is that was so bad. It was harmless and bullet a second slip-esque. Yeah. You know, it was so bad that it really, I just think, set the tone for the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those, we spoke about it at the time, just where was his front foot going? Although... Not as far away as Marnus Labuschagne's for his wicket in the last in the last game. <laughs> that was almost like he was just taking the mick out of Burns with that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but Marnus moves about weird, so one of these times he's gonna fall over. Like, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even just that he fit his his front foot went. Oh yeah, I mean, I a mile know. away. <laughs> So did Rory Burns. Like, I'm not even sure Rory Burns was his front foot was on the second. Would have been on the next set of stumps. It was Different postcodes. I know. It was just like, what are you doing? And yeah, the three of them were abysmal. Joss Butler really wasn't much better. Um, and no, I think it bumped his rating because he took. He, he took one extraordinary catch at one point. And he dug in in that innings. I can't remember which test it was in, but where he made 23 or something off yeah. 100 on balls. And then you thought, oh, is, is Joss Butler actually turned a corner here? Can he dig in? And then he went back to Joss Butler throwing away his wicket in the test well, after. I thought it was quite... And I think it's, it is a part of the problem that England have with their test team. And Joss Butler 
almost epitomise it. They don't know what they're doing. I think when you look at the England white ball team, I think Owen Morgan has his players knowing what he wants them to do. They clearly have freedom to express themselves. Joss Butler's strike rate in this series was something like high 20s. 27, 28, I want to say. Um, and yeah, it's not in my stats, so I can't tell you. <laughs> that is 100% not Joss Butler's strength. Yeah. He, Joss Butler is not there to play like Jeffrey Boycott. You know, it, he's there to actually be... It's not have throw your hands at every single ball. And he seems to be incapable of finding that in-between state of still being aggressive, but not being as aggressive as playing the white ball format. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's played enough tests. It's time to lay him to rest in terms of test cricket. Let him be a fantastic white ball player. But Josh Butler should never see the light of day in the test match arena ever again. I completely agree with you um, I have strong views on where England should go with wicketkeeper I'm not sure they'll go there still Ben Folk should be England's wicketkeeper and I don't think there should even be a debate about that none of the other wicketkeeping options which you're choosing because what they give you with the bat are performing well enough with the bat to justify their place ahead of Ben Folk's. Ben Folk's is the best gloveman in, in, in the English game he is one thing I would say and bet it towards Sam Billings. Is Sam Billings, because this is another criticism I would have of Joss Butler, your wicketkeeper is generally speaking your mouthpiece. He's the one, who, he's like the team yeah. cheerleader. Joss Butler is awful at that. Yeah. And Sam Billings behind the stumps is, from that side of things, is excellent. I noticed that immediately actually when I was watching this game. Um, I'm trying to think. It was when the Australians were on about 150-odd and Joe Root was bowling. Yeah. Uh, pardon me. Um, and yes, the Australians were going well, but he was still, you could hear him on the stump mic all the time. Yeah. It's like, yeah, bang, bang, let's get them all out for 170. There's nothing to say we can't do that. I mean, it's just offering something to the team, whereas Butler is just quiet. Yeah, and... I don't. I, I don't. I agree. I don't think they'll go for folks because I think it's been obvious for a number of years that folks is the best wicket keeping option, and England seem determined to not to do that. I, I personally think it will either be Billings or they will return the gloves back to Bearstow. Um and I, I think that will be the two ways that England might. To be honest, I still I don't believe from the England point of view that Joss Butler is out the window. Well, no. Under Root and Silverwood, he's not out the window, but that is another question as to where it goes from there. But I think ultimately, I think looking at these ratings, England were woeful. Yeah, they were. Um, there was, there's, yeah, one or two players who can hold their head high because of one or two performances. Um. Yeah, even looking at Andersons and Broad are probably the only ones that gave you consistency throughout the series. Yeah, and I I actually thought at one point when he got rested, I thought Ollie Robinson would come back and sort of sort himself out, and I thought I thought he may well finish this series with a rating of eight or so. 
Yeah. Um, I was actually tempted to take more points off Ollie Robinson because he can't even be bothered to get himself fit. And the fact that John Lewis came out um, and said, almost criticised him publicly, the last to, that I can remember, the last England player to be publicly criticised by the management for his fitness is Samit Patel. Um, and I think it's not the kind of thing that happens very often. And yeah. I think that very much shows that the England management see this as Ollie Robinson's fault and not anything else. And frankly, that is not good enough. Yeah. Um, it, he's what, 27? Yeah. He should be sort of entering the prime years of his career. Um, he should know how to to keep himself in, in peak condition by now. Yeah. And if you can't do it, well, go back to your bowling your offspin if you can't keep yourself fit. You know, it's... It, He's a good yeah. bowler, and I hope he can p- turn it around. But if he's not going to show... I, I, that kind of attitude of not being willing to get yourself fit for a series just shows the problem. It, it's just another part of it. shows the problems that are there with England. The mindset of the whole thing is... One of the guys I've seen on Twitter talking a lot is Jack Russell has talked quite a yeah. bit about... He very much sees a lot of the English problems coming from mindset and like determination and application from the players. He doesn't really, you know, I think he sees that England players do have talent in their team. I, you know, I think, I think they do. They have clear areas where there's problems. The, the top order is still a problem. Yep. But in the middle order, there should be enough talent in that middle order to not be getting skittled over constantly for less than 150. It's. Yeah, if you look, we've got Root, Stokes are obviously your your main two batsmen in that team. Um, they've both had poor series. Um, yeah. Stokes, you almost... I think there almost should be a wee asterisk next to Stokes 5 because the way that he was handled physically was very poor. The bowling, the... Let's drop Mark Wood. Let's use Ben Stokes to be an enforcer and bowl, despite the fact he's clearly not fit enough to do so. Yeah, he's just had, what, four months out of the game completely, pretty much, before coming into the series. Well, he bowled 17 overs in first-class cricket last year. Yeah. Or last English county season. The guy wasn't fit, and it clearly impacted his batting. Like, you know, you saw with the side strain that he was unable to play some shots that he usually would. So... You know, he does show a bit of guts and determination, but I would still like to see more runs from Ben Stokes, and that's not this series alone. I think he has the big match winning head and innings, but where's the consistency? I think he's, yeah, I do think there is a little bit of an element with Stokes that he is living off of that a bit. Yeah. The summer of 2019, Headingley and the World Cup. Yep. He is still living off of it a bit, and we need to see a bit more from Ben Stokes, I think. Yeah, I, I still think, and it's not because of this, I've said this to you, probably not during the time we've been recording the podcast, but I still, and I still believe it, I think that Johnny Bairstow is still the most capable batsman in England after Joe Root. And I think he's had his issues, and I don't know whether he's turned the corner, but he's the only one in that lineup that really deserves to be given, that can hands up go, well, I deserve to be given more chance. Because, yeah, yeah, Zach Crawley maybe towards the tail end of that se- series. But 
nobody else does. No one else deserves the chance to carry on. Um, if they've not done it, are they going to do it? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, so where where does this team go from here? Um, there's a discussion around the county setup, and we will get to that. I need to sneeze. <coughs> Bless you, Andrew. Bless oh you. Oh dear. Yeah, well, I suppose. <laughs> well, I suppose the first thing is there's probably three people whose heads are potentially on the chopping blocks. You've got Joe Root as captain. Yeah. Chris Silverwood as coach. Yeah. <laughs> well, now Graham Thorpe as coach, but you know that's something else. Um, and Ashley Giles as director of cricket. Well, I think actually Graham Thorpe is worth a mention because he was. I mean, he's the batting coach. <laughs> yeah, you can't not be on a sugarly peg after that well, batting the, performance. I suppose what you tend to see is if Silverwood goes, the likelihood yeah, is the, the a, a number house, of those yeah. around him might not. The one I maybe get the impression might still survive it is Paul Collingwood. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure how many of the rest of them survive that. Um yeah, and that's before you get to the the video that surfaced somehow this leaked. morning. Yes. Somehow leaked, despite Thorpe recording it. I don't understand how that gets into the public domain from his phone. But who yeah, knows? Um, Hacked, maybe. But I doubt it. Sold. Hacked that quickly. Can't see that being the case. It was on. It was on social media within hours. I mean, you don't <laughs> don't suppose you thought I'm getting sacked, right? Where can I get some money? Yeah, <laughs> who's coming with me? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, but I mean, well, shall we look, I suppose you could probably go through all the coaches at that rate, but um, those three guys are probably the main ones. They're in the three primary positions that yeah. impact test cricket. Um, so let's start at the top with Giles. I think one thing that Giles has done that could legitimately see the end of him is the decision to not have a national selector anymore and just have a head coach yes i think that that was do you know what i could see the logic in it at the time um because it is something that is done well, in New other sports throughout the well, world Well, new zealand currently do it and it's something that duncan fletcher for a long time pushed you know, who Duncan Fletcher's held up as being one of the better yeah. England coaches. And he, he apparently always wanted this. So I suppose there are arguments for it. Not not when Chris Silver was your head coach, though. Uh, no. I, 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 yeah. And also the fact that, which come on to county cricket, but there are also 18 counties in England. There aren't that many in other countries. Yeah, so there's it's too much cricket to, to watch, basically, for yes, one guy. Yeah. And England's schedule is probably the they, probably they second to India. If you take all formats of cricket, maybe maybe a bit more than in India. I don't know. I've not got the numbers to certainly have. play more Test match cricket than anyone else yes. on the planet. So it's too busy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So that for me sees Giles in an awkward position to start with before you even get into how the the team have performed. Um, well, I think there's also been an issue... I think your point is completely valid about that. But there has been a major issue during the series on select... The 11 players that have actually been picked to play each game haven't been right on multiple occasions. Yeah. And so him giving Silverwood that power and 
not you know jumping on to Silverwood a bit, but and the fact that Silverwood came out after the second test match and said he would still select that's the same two 11s. Yeah. I mean, I think there and then he should have been stripped as of his selection powers. Cause it well, was he should have been stripped of his selection powers on that first morning of the first test well, when yeah. Stuart Broad wasn't in. Yeah. Because that was a ridiculous decision. Abso- oh, absolutely. I mean, it, he had Warner in his pocket and again, we touched on Rory Burns and key moments. Yeah. Stuart Broad not being the first man to bowl at David Warner. That was another stupid decision and a yeah, key loss. Yeah, absolutely. So, Giles, staying, not staying? I think you'll stay. Well, what would what would you do? Though? What would I do? I would clear house, get rid of a lot of them. Right, so you so you get rid of all yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, I, I'll be honest, I, I have to agree. I think I've said for quite a while, I don't, you know, long before this series, I don't think Joe Root's the right captain. And I know there's always been this opinion of, well, who else would you go to? But, I've heard that in other sports. You know, I remember yeah. when Scotland's football team sacked Gordon Strachan, and you went, "Well, who'd you get that's better than Gordon Strachan?" Well, actually, it's gone all right. Yeah, you it's know? gone very well. <laughs> so it's and you know, I've heard that you hear this line getting cast out all the time. Well, who else is there? Yeah. Well, you need to find somebody else because it has to be better than this situation. Yeah. Um, Chris Silverwood. I've kind of lost all respect for the man. I don't, you know, I, I hear he's a very nice guy. He kind of comes across as a nice guy. And I suppose the same to be said with Giles. And that's another issue. They're all very nice. I, I didn't like the appointment in the first place. It was an appointment from within and generally appointments from within. I just, yeah, I, I don't like them as a sort of point of principle because I think when you're moving, if you've decided that a regime has past its point, then you need a clean break. You can't just appoint from within. But did Bayless not choose to go, though? Yes, because it was at the end of 2019. But you still saw the test performances had deteriorated. Yeah. The ECB were making noises of, right, well, we've we've got our World Cup. We now want to put our focus back on red ball cricket. Yeah. So a guy that was in that regime that saw that decline of red ball cricket was never the right choice. Despite the fact the ECB tried to sell this as a more red ball focused appointment, they tried to suggest that Silverwood was a better red ball coach. Yeah. And I don't know where the evidence ever was that Silverwood was ever going to be better than, to be honest, one of the world's leading coaches in Trevor Bayliss. Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah, I, I... I don't think it was a good appointment. I think that's been seen and I think it's time to go. Root should carry on playing. He's still comfortably our best batsman. Um, and I think he will. I don't think he'll... Do you think the ECB will take the captaincy off him? Because he said he wants to continue. Um, y- well, if they don't get rid of Giles, they're not going to get rid of Root. Yeah. Um. So this is where it's... Yeah, it's interesting. It'll be. I, I think they'll all go. They'll all stay. To be honest, do you? I think Silverwood goes. He's probably the easiest one. Yeah, because I suppose Giles was a player. You know, I sort of Silverwood. You know, was a cricket. I can't remember if he ever played Test cricket, but um, yeah, I suppose that. But he's not got the stature in the game that yeah. Giles and Root have. Um, I no, I would get rid of all three of them. 
Uh, yeah, I would as well. Um, in terms of what I think will happen is I think Silverwood will, will go, but the other two will remain in place. But I think they need to be a lot... For, I think Giles needs to start being... You know, England test players should not be allowed to prioritise things like the IPL over playing for England. Uh, not just England test players. England players should not be allowed to prioritise the IPL over yeah. it. India don't allow their players to go and do lots of other things. It's like, no, you've got to focus on almost like your duty to India. Yeah. Well, England have to start taking that same approach. And ultimately, yeah. if the guys want to go away and be T20 mercenaries, well, fine. Because I tell you something, the one thing is, is that nobody will ever remember the T20 mercenary, whereas they will remember the guys that did well in international cricket. And it's still the yeah. pinnacle for any player. Um so, but yeah, I would clean house, but I'm, I kind of agree with you. I'm not sure whether there's strong enough leadership from above. Um, I mean, I see that the suggestion is that the new chairman is going to be Andrew Strauss. Yeah, but I, I don't mind that, I have to say, because I think that... But is he not part of the regime? No, I, see, I think that at the point that Strauss was there, it was some moving still in the right direction. I don't know. I, he was the one. He certainly did great things for the white ball game. And in isolation, I don't know if it's a problem. What I think I would have an issue with is if you keep Giles, you all of a sudden then bring Strauss in above. You've still got Root as captain. You go, well, this is kind of what we've had. You yeah, know, it's yeah. you need yeah, a change. I, think, I, I understand that point. And I think that Strauss being involved for me wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, Giles probably has to go though for it to to properly work. Yeah, no, and I would, I'm yeah, happy to sell on that sort of yeah. In isolation, Strauss is fine, but yeah. it's the bigger picture of it is where I maybe have more of an issue. But right, so I think to discuss coaches is a bit in depth, and who replaces Giles is probably not a worthwhile conversation either. But on the basis that we're both saying Root should go, where do you go at that point? This, this is a a tough one. I saw a shout today on Twitter for Stuart Broad. Yep. And, I mean, if you appoint Stuart Broad as captain, you're going to have to accept that your DRS reviews are gone in the first three overs of the game. <laughs> <laughs> but, other than that fact... I can't see an obvious other option. No, than, I, I, to me the two cre the sort of two credible options because I've seen some very bizarre suggestions getting floated out there. Um, like I think Alex Lees or something was because he was the Lions captain. Maybe you could. I was like, well, can you justify your place in the side yeah, first, I please? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's either Stokes or Broad for me personally. Um, and I think Broad would still be an element of a caretaker yeah. until you can find the next guy. Basically. The next guy. Stokes doesn't want it. He said he doesn't want it. I think Stokes also needs to maybe have, you know, he's been laid off not so long ago with sort of mental health issues. Yeah. He's got physical issues that he's going to need to go away after the series and rectify. Yeah. I think. Even I actually wouldn't be opposed to saying let Stokes have a year 
Broad, take it for a year and right, we'll relook at Stokes. It might be somebody else by then. It might be Billings comes in. He's got captaincy experience. It might be Billings comes in, plays in the West Indies, does really well, comes back and yeah. plays in England, does really well and actually go, no, actually, we like the positivity he's bringing to the game. Let's give it to him or, or another. Yeah. The other one that seems to be touted as a slightly credible option out of some of those weird and wonderful ones is Rory Burns. But because of his captaincy experience at Surrey. Yeah. But the guy doesn't justify a place in the team. So you you it has to be somebody that at least has a fairly solid standing. I know they've rotated broad out and that would have to stop. Yeah, I think there are only three players that justify their place that are not root, and that is Stokes, Broad and Anderson. Um Broad and Anderson yep. obviously have been rotating. <laughs> Maybe you give it to the both of them. <laughs> Co-captaincy. Co-captaincy. Um, no. Um, we're, sorry, we're just stopping recording podcasts now. Um, no, I just... Anderson, for me, shouldn't. he's too angry to be a captain. Even at his advanced years, he's still too angry to be a captain. Yeah, and I don't think that's who Anderson is, and I think that's fine. But yeah. I, you, you hear Broad. Actually, when he speaks, you know, he's done some commentary work, and he's he's been, at points, he's been quite vocal as a player as well about some yeah. things. And actually, I think he seems to show some good leadership qualities. I, I think in 10 years' time, you'll look at Broad as the same way we currently look at Atherton and Hussein in terms of a broadcaster. Uh, yeah, I could well see him being the next one to step into that. Yeah. And hopefully Rob Keel have left by that point. So, um, Please. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I, 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 I have to be honest, my view on it is Broad. Yeah. Is, and as I say, it would be a sort of... It's not a long-term appointment. I actually think this is one side of it. From the purely the test team, we're going to go into a conversation about the domestic structure and things like that, or the domestic side of things. I actually think they need to stop looking at the long-term and actually just try and sort it out just now. Sort it out for the West Indies series. Yeah. Then the series are... You know, just take it one series... Stop overcomplicating it. Part of the reason that, Eng- to me, England did so poorly in the Ashes was every- we had, at the point that the series were played, I don't know what the latest rankings are, but we had the best two test teams in the world come to England in New Zealand and India. And we were st- England was still more worried about going and playing in the Ashes. Yeah. And it's like, and they didn't do very well. So confidence was low. And yeah, I think the whole rest and rotation policy that England have gone with, which, understandable in the early phase of the pandemic, I think. Yep. Um, I think by the time it got to this summer, or last summer, um, that should have been binned. Oh, I think so. And I think it just had to be, look, you, you, I, I know this is tough, but you're going to have to battle it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And... <sighs> Yeah, it, it's just there's not there's been too much player power. Seems to be another thing, though. The I think the players seem to have a bit too much control, and I I sort of touched on earlier them being very nice, and I wonder if that the leadership is too root included. Root is a very you know nice guy. Yeah. Um, and you do wonder how much guys. I suppose the one criticism of someone like Broad is you actually go well. Surely Broad has quite a lot of influence already. Yeah, but this English team, I think, does 
it still seems quite cliquey. And I, I don't see Broad as part of that clique. I think your your real power in the current English leadership is Root, Stokes and Butler. Yeah. Your, your big three. Um, and yes, Broad and Anderson are there. But I think from a leadership point of view, they should certainly be lent on more than, than they probably are. Yeah, because I actually think particularly Jimmy to be, uh, you know, at some points, especially in 2021, 2022, that's what I know, there has been times he's been, st- the camera's kind of panned onto him. And he's kind of looked a bit like, what is going on? Like, yeah. it's just, yeah. and maybe that shows that, yeah, actually they're not quite as involved as they certainly should be. I mean, that's ridiculous having a guy of his experience who isn't, you know, whether he has a title or not, he should be part of the leadership team. Like, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, you've got two guys who've got the best part of 1,200 wickets between them. I don't know, what they're, don't know what they're doing, quite <laughs> clearly. Yeah. Right, well, we've waffled on a bit there, but I think we're thinking Stuart Broad, new test captain, and get rid of the rest. Yeah. Sack the board. This is a mammoth episode, by the way. Oh, I we thought... We haven't even got into the meaty stuff yet. And <laughs> what, what are we at, Andrew? We're at 45 minutes? Yeah. Uh, Pretty much. We're at 36 minutes of post-technical issues and we have 12 minutes before it. Excellent. Well, then he fall asleep. Buckle in. (laughs) Buckle in. We might uh, might release this as two parts. Who knows? We'll we'll, we'll, work that out post. But, right, let's talk domestic cricket. That seems to be the thing that's blowing up Twitter right now. Yes. Um, And, right, so, you have a proposal. I do. Well, we start with actually... Jonathan Agnew, Agnew well, of yeah. the BBC wrote an article in the aftermath with his proposal of what should we do with the domestic game. He felt that you should take the 800 teams mm-hmm. and add another two yep. and have a 10-team premier first-class competition that sits above the county championship. Yeah. Um, and then have a draft system for players. Blech. Yeah, I... I'm a big American sports fan. I love drafts in the context of American sport. But they draft new players, like exactly, young players. Yes, that's exactly uh. where where I'm going with that. Is that that their whole sports ecosystem is built around drafts and the whole college system and that? I just don't think that works. Sorry, they call it checkers in America. Hey, <sighs> sorry, I interrupted your point, but you know. Um. So yeah, so that's one issue with Agnew's proposal that I don't like. I also think that 10 is still too big. I Absolutely. think that the, the quality is still too diluted yep. in a 10-team a competition. Um, I have pulled together a, a wee graphic for our YouTube viewers um, with my proposal uh, on English red ball cricket. I, I think six teams is the ideal number. Um, to really get because what we what we don't have in the English domestic system is the test players playing against each other regularly because there are too many counties and they're spread out yep. too much. I would align three counties to each region and have six teams in the elite red ball competition. And those three counties that are aligned, that that is your player pool. So a yeah. north region of Durham, Lancashire and Yorkshire. Um, I'm not going to read. In fact, I will read through them all because some of you are listening and not watching. So yeah, so yeah. You, you must. Uh, yeah, so north, Durham, Lancs, Yorks, 
A Midlands north of Derbyshire, Leicestershire and Nottinghamshire. A Midlands south of North Ants, Warwickshire and Worcestershire. Uh, London uh, will include Essex and London along with Middlesex and Surrey. Southwest, Glamorgan, Gloucestershire, Somerset and Southeast, Hampshire, Kent and Sussex. My proposal is that they would play two rounds of fixtures against each other and then a final between the top two uh, in the division. Um, and crucially, the games played through the peak of summer, uh, played from June to August. And it, So from June to August, you would be exclusively playing first-class cricket? Yes. Right, okay. So I think June to August, that gives you time to have... Uh, I'm trying to think, well, actually, now I'm thinking it through. The 100 comes afterwards. That can be played immediately after the end of the first class, I think. Okay, so... One day cup. Yeah, that that is now my thought. Where does the one day cup sit? It would have to be a season opener. It would have to be. It would have to be, you're right. So you'd be very much splitting up one day cricket as this tranche of the season. Yeah. First class tranche, 100, and I'm assuming... The T20 blast. So are you... So what are you doing... Are you agreeing with Agnew that do the counties, is there still a county structure below this? Yes. So the county championship still plays. Yep. And it plays across the same time, really. Or or you could mix that up and have that starting a little bit before this to give at least guys a shout for getting within it. Well, I suppose if you didn't, it would depend. You'd have to restructure it if you didn't want, if you wanted it to play at the same time because obviously yeah. there's more fixtures. You'd you'd probably have to go to th- three divisions of six or something to get. Yeah, three of six probably works, uh, which is what they had. Oh, they had at the back well, end of last yeah, year. Yeah, but then that weird thing. But it yeah. worked to start with and then went weird. So, yes, it did. Um, it did. Right. Okay. So I'm trying to think if I've got any other points. So where would would it be a case of? You've got ten games, so let's just say the north. Is it three at Durham? You, you know, three at each ground. Well, and then got, they're hosting five each, five home, five away. Oh, so uh, yeah, and so you would just rotate. So you've got three counties um, in each region. Every third year, they're only hosting one, and the other years they're hosting two. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, I suppose you've got a test ground in each. There's at least a test ground in each thing. Um, there is. That is another option you could take. The The only issue that you potentially have with that is that it's another three first-class fixtures for these grounds to host. So do the counties that then play at those test grounds, they're forced to play at their outgrounds more. Or their ground staff have got a lot of work to do, particularly if they're hosting a test as well. Yeah, but I suppose if you... Uh, well, I suppose maybe, right, so that's your proposal. I suppose yeah. I, I've not got a graphic to put up. So I have a, a somewhat similar proposal. It's not completely a million miles away. Um, it's I would personally go eight teams. Um, I'd more or less align it with the 100. I did have them all written down. And I would have actually grouped the mine or what used to be the font, now national counties or whatever they are. Yep. Um, and I would have sort of tried to group them together more as wider groups. Um, 
Wales was the one that created the problem. I, I, I don't like for the 100 that the Welsh fire supposedly includes Gloucestershire and Somerset, much like, I suppose, what you've got here for the Southwest. Yeah. Um, to expect uh, to expect people from Somerset or Gloucestershire, and then you're really talking the whole southwest of England at that point, to s- follow Welsh fire. I don't really think that's realistic, to be honest. Yeah, um, I agree in that hundred context. In, in the in the hundred, but my proposal is basically you have the hundred teams, and what you might do is you may opt to rename some of the hundred teams um dropping like you might you might rename like manchester birmingham you know maybe not make them so specifically about a certain city um so my thing was roughly speaking it was like the northern superchargers so yorkshire and durham but then they would also have affiliated into them like northumberland and cumbria uh, northumbria um and Cumbria and like you'd have the Manchester Originals team but they'd have like Cheshire and Shropshire and Staffordshire you know things like that so I would see a realigning of it I would make the Southern Brave I'd still have it at Hampshire because you've got Southampton as the test ground there yeah but it then goes west rather than going east across to Sussex Sussex join. Right, yeah. Sussex would join Kent and Surrey as being the London originals. Is it? I don't know. The, the, all the names are terrible. I've just no, they're them. the they're the Oval Invincibles. Oval Invincibles. That's what they are. Um, so yeah. So you you'd they would go into there. And that that would be the southeast team. You then yeah. have so and that's where there's similarities between it. You'd have currently it's Essex, Middlesex. And Northants are the ones that make up the other London team. So yeah. I would propose that they end up with a whole ton of minor counties in with them just by virtue of there being tons of them in there. Um, and likewise, a sort of Birmingham. Bit. But so the idea is eight teams, but they're playing at the test grounds. Yeah. Um, Durham is the problem in that um, because realist. Well, currently. Headingley is the more major ground in English cricket. Well, at the moment, it doesn't well, host internationals, so it's going to Chesterly Street. <laughs> is Chesterly Street not still... Has it no, actually regained its... Certainly hosted white ball internationals over the last few years. Well, yeah, okay. Let's just pretend... Let, oh God, geez, I'm going to sound like Ryan Sidebottom there for a second. <laughs> um <laughs> Let's, Let's put, put that, that to, to one side, side yeah. just just now and assume that Yorkshire pull their finger out, get all that sorted, get international. And I suppose worse and worse, they don't pull their finger out. Well, then Chesterley Street becomes the test ground. Um, it does, yeah. Then what you have is you have your elite cricketers, because that is what we're both kind of going for, is that the elite cricketers are playing each other more. But my concern with like your proposal of six teams, you've then got 18 counties, you've got 800 teams is that it all of a sudden become... I think you still want to have, like, fan buy-in into these teams. And I just worry that if you end up with, like, well, there's those six, and then there's those eight, and there's the, the 18, and all that kind of stuff, but it just not, becomes very confusing. You're pitching at different markets, though. Like, those that follow county cricket would understand why it's six teams. You're not trying to pitch this at the 100 market. 
I mean, you might. Yeah, maybe. You, you, you want. Yes, you want the 100 market to become more interested and get into county cricket. But. Which is where I see it as a benefit of. And yeah, I can see that benefit. I still think that it. It's an extra four rounds. Are you proposing that they play each other twice? Because that's a lot of fixtures. Pro- I have to be like, no, I'm not proposing. I would be proposing that you play each other once. See, I and uh, so that's even less. But I, I'm still proposing that there's still a county championship beneath this, um, and because I think, I suppose one of my slight angles with it is that. I think I'm trying to be realistic about what might get past the counties because there's like it or not, they're still going to ECB are still going to require a degree of, you know, with the hundred got held up for that reason because of the counties. And my concern is, is if you just basically say, right, well, you've got the county championship. Okay. You might start it a little bit earlier, but for the bulk of that county championship season, you've just got, you're not seeing any of your players ever or any of your better players, are never going to play first-class cricket. And actually, the reality of it is, your better players aren't going to play first-class cricket, and your better players also aren't going to play in the T20 Blast necessarily for you, because we've actually made the schedule busier, so it's going to have to coincide, the T20 Blast will have to coincide with the 100. Yeah. So you're all of a sudden, aside from the one-day cup, whatever it's called and whatever structure it takes, you're actually not allowing the counties to have their own best players. Yeah, but I think ultimately, what, regardless of your proposal here, you are making the county championship secondary, a, a secondary tournament. And so therefore, fine. I mean, they, they don't have their test players. All you're doing is extending that pull out. And I think a lot of a lot of the issues that the English domestic game has is because the counties have been stuck in their way. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, and I think that it has come to a point where the ECB need to just be strong and say, no, we need change. Because if the test team fall away and test match attendances fall away because the English team aren't competitive. That hurts the counties because they lose so much income yep. from that. If the test team doesn't become competitive and then the next the next um, group of aspiring cricketers are looking at a test side who aren't doing well, or they're yep. looking at a one-day side that are doing well, yep. where's their focus going to go? They're going to want to play white ball cricket. So if the, the counties don't move with with this... Yeah. Then, red ball cricket in England is going to gradually fade away and die. No, I, I, I can, I can see that, and I, I suppose, as I say, ultimately, what we are saying, I think we're agreed on. It needs condensed down. I would agree with you. I think Agnew's ten is too much. I think, I suppose, where I see it is, you've got a situation. I suppose take Scottish cricket just now. You've got the Western Warriors, you've got the Eastern Knights, and you've got the Caledonian Highlanders, or the Cali Highlanders, I think. I don't think they actually used the long name. Um, Or certainly that's what they're called in the men's game. Um, But they're effectively Cricket Scotland entities. And they operate, they, they have the elite level, but they're basically Cricket Scotland run. 
it, the clubs, which, you yeah. know, there is no counties in Scotland, so it's the clubs are the sort of same scenario with the counties. And I think, to be fair, I think at times Scottish cricket suffered from this, that Scottish and actually it's probably going through a period just now of being stuck by it because the clubs don't want their prestige to be diminished with probably some changes that need to happen for the regional series, like it potentially being played on a Saturday instead mm. of, and things like that. Um, so ultimately we're saying it's elite, but it's just, as I say, I just worry that even from an administrative point of view, I just see the eight of, I'd, I'd actually be for your six if they didn't have the 800 teams. And I can see your point about, yeah, you're trying yeah. to go for different markets. But it almost becomes those eight teams are the ECB-ran clubs or teams or wh- whatever the, t- you know, the decision was taken upon, what they were yeah. actually settled as. And as I say, I just worried, because you then you end up with the Northern Superchargers have a coach for the 100, but then... And the Manchester is the Manchester Originals. I yeah, get so confused about is, what yeah. the blooming names are. They've got a coach, but then the North has a coach. Like so, all of a sudden, the ECB are organi- You know, are probably trying to organise three different coaches. Where actually, if but wouldn't you want to anyway? Because the the coach that you're attracting for the hundred is one of these guys that goes and goes and coaches in white ball tournaments around the world. You want a red ball specialist coach. Red ball specialist coaches don't exist. Well, maybe that's another part of the problem. Well, maybe it is, but the the I, I yeah, I suppose maybe I am trying to tie them together too much, and I suppose the problem is the hundred's got and the hundred has the draft, so yeah, I suppose maybe fair. You're, you're not going to have the same player pool. No, that's that's a fair point, and then having the continuity of a coach, therefore is lessened and all that kind of stuff so yeah no i can maybe see it and one of the problems i have in my proposal that, that by going well wales are on their own well wales just turn into glamorgan and then all of a sudden glamorgan despite never being a very strong county have this bizarrely elevated status yeah they basically have their first 11 playing in this elite one and then it's the oh. second 11 in the county championship because Bec- they lose everyone yeah because i think actually under these proposals another thing that i would say whether it's my eight or your six and there are parts of your six i do like i'd scrap the second 11 championship because i at the point of if you have t- right so if you say let's just say actually yours creates less of a headache for six so we'll just go with yeah. that so you're probably going to have a better idea as well. Well, I mean that's absolute tosh, but anyway. <laughs> um so we'll go with what a squad of 20 players, 18. Nah, yeah. Eight. Right. So just for easy maths, let's call it 20. 120 players are all of a sudden taken out of the county championship. Now you'd probably allow for players to be released to play down in the county championship, but I think absolutely you would. Once you, your eleven's named, everyone yeah, else should be released. But to be honest, right, even forget the squad, right? In theory, when the elite competition has been played, your sixty six best first class players are now no longer in county cricket. Yeah. Because one thing, if you have six teams, I would not allow overseas players. Because yeah, I would. You're, I can understand that. You're, uh, there's kind of two sides to it. One, actually, the English players don't get to go and just play all over the world because most of them don't allow overseas players to come in. 
whether as a strict rule or just culturally they just don't allow it to happen because that yeah. Australia you can have them they just don't tend to um, although I did notice the ECB have written to Cricket Australia and said is this something that we can explore well I know certainly from some a conversation I'd had bet- on an Australian podcast that involved Ricky Ponton the view was yeah we'll take your test players but we don't want anyone else because they're not good enough and you're yeah. then displacing you're displacing good Australians for mediocre English players, which I think is actually a perfectly valid point. But the other thing is, we we keep giving Australians exposure to Eng- to the pre to the top English conditions. Look at Marnus Lavishin. Look at yeah. Travis Head. You know, if you're saying this needs to be the elite English players against each other, it needs to be the elite English players against each other. No overseas to me, especially at eight. You could maybe go. Well, you can, have one. It, it, you can have one. Yeah. Six, no. I think you have to have only domestic players. I I agree with that. Um, because you yeah you need to give this you you need to have that large pool of players who have the exposure of playing against the best domestically regularly. Yeah, and but I just my concern is if you take sixty six players out of the county championship. Yeah. And it's 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 going to be more than sixty six because you're not you're probably going to have twelve thirteen stay with you know much yes, like when yeah. England are playing a test match there's twelve thirteen get retained and you might let the other four yeah. go away and play so you're going to have eighty odd players out so therefore it's basically second eleven players that are going to come in at that point how bad is the second eleven championship yeah but it just I guess that I can understand your point on on why you would potentially do it, but if the counties have the numbers to carry a second eleven championship, but I don't think I. My point is, I'm not sure they would. They have the numbers. Do do you do but you do, have the coach? Do they carry a, a bigger squad because there's a new revenue stream has come with this county chat this this new elite championship but is there a new revenue stream on a ma- to to a major scale is there as you say you're not doing the hundreds you're not appealing to this sort of mass market kind of thing people don't go and watch first class cricket and i'm not really convinced that that would change whether you got 6 8 10 yeah yeah no it's a valid point i Sky might Sky might give them a bit more money. They might, you know, on Sky Cricket, you might be able to red button it and watch any of the three games with... Yeah, I just think that the second 11 championship is still an important pathway. But do you, I suppose what I'm looking at, do you take your national counties championships that are there, you know, formerly minor counties, do you almost try and push some of these academy players that can't find any game time. I I, I just worry what that... Do, I, I'm not familiar with the, the minor counties or whatever it's called. Um, do they... They play three-day games. So they play three-day games. Yeah. Right, okay. And there's about... Th- On the basis that they play three-day games, actually, I can buy scrapping the the second 11. Because it's... it's 
because the pathway still exists for multi-day cricket. Yeah, and I just actually wonder if the ECB might do themselves a little bit of favours by, again, trying to think about getting it through. You might not get the county buy-in, but if you get all the national counties buy-in, you know, almost yeah. they see that's a benefit to us. Because they're going to get stronger sides. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna get... And and I suppose this was part of my thinking with this eight teams and sort of try to base them in regions and actually take in your, the national counties teams in is actually what you do is it almost becomes like tiered. Yeah. So it's like all these people exist within that region, for want of a better word. You've got your elite team, you've got your counties still, and then you've got your... And it's almost like... It, it's the Australian grade system, isn't it? Basically. Yeah. And I just worry if you have an elite level, you've got a county championship, you've got a second 11 championship, you've got a national counties. Actually becomes a heck of a lot of multi-day cricket going on. Yeah, but I, how I, much I of it I meaningful agree. is... Agree. Um, um, that you, you get rid of the, the second 11 championship. And I suppose another thing I see with an advantage to the elite, that we sort of touched on coaches, is actually by putting... I would be quite keen to see English coaches coaching these elite teams as well. Um, because it's to me, it's a training ground. We go, where are the English coaches? But it's almost like, well, yeah, but where's the opportunity for the English coaches? Yeah. Um, I'm less convinced by that argument because I think, well... Yes, it is a valid question of where are the English coaches. If it's an elite competition, it has to be geared around getting the best out of the players. It can't be a development ground for coaches, I don't think. It has to the best coaches that you can get have to be there. Uh, that's probably a fair point. I I do wonder though. I think you're not likely to get any better than your good county coaches, though. Well, possibly, but. I don't think you should shut that avenue off. Yeah, that... I, okay, it's maybe not a rule. It's maybe a, a you know, a sort of preference towards trying yeah. to have... Um, but I think ultimately we're agreed, because we have commented that it's a long episode. We've agreed, I think we have a consensus on an elite... I think we agree with Agnew on an elite sort of first-class structure. Yes. yeah. And I think we're happy to keep the county championship alive as... A first-class competition, but... At a second level, uh, basically. Yeah, I, I suppose a bit like the provincial championship used to be in South Africa, which, okay, they actually, they chose to scrap, ironically, but... Um, and... So, no overseas players, would you be happy with that? If you if you went six teams, I think there's a lot of practical elements yeah, with if six you went, teams. If you went six teams, no overseas players. It's your best domestic players... Yeah, it all has to be focused to improving the fortunes of the English Test side. So, uh, I know this introduces another level of conversation. The one other big problem I see with your proposal: when are Test matches played? Well, what we see quite often at the moment is that you have two series. One is what May time? 
late May, yeah, early June. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have another one that's August and September, if you've got two series. I think that's fine, because ultimately, you're going to lose... The test players are still going to get the bulk of this championship. Y- yeah. And losing your 13 test guys, this elite competition should still be of a high enough standard. It's the guys that are next in line. And it also means that if someone isn't performing in the test side, they're not dropping down to the county championship, which we've decided isn't of high enough standard. They're still performing directly against the guys that they're going up against for a place in the test team. Yeah. So... I don't have a problem with test matches running alongside this competition. Yeah, I suppose what you just wouldn't want is there to be too much of an overlap because you wouldn't want three quarters of it of this elite competition, I feel, to not have your test players. No, I think it starts sort of probably midway through the first series of the summer. But we're talking about test series, but the problem is we've also got multi-format players as well. And this is where... Well, that's another thing, though, I think... It's a discussion we sort of had last week with the future of bilateral series and white ball cricket. Yeah. The ICC are going away from it with so much tournament play. Yep. Do they just, the, just have less? Bilateral series just need to be binned and have... Yeah. Because I think, I think you would have to... But then it's less money going down to the county. You have less games, international games. You've got less money going down to the counties because you've got less grounds getting sold out. Yeah. You've got less money. Go- it's yeah. not just about the counties. You've got less money going into the game overall. Yes, that's, that, is, that is true. And I do just wonder if that's... I also wonder if that's where... My idea would have probably been to potentially break it up, not have it in one chunk is potentially sort of, you know, if you had a couple of, say, two early season, if it was seven games, three mid-season, two towards the end. Just more because it's kind of spreading out. It means if for whatever reason you need to move test series or it needs to sit in a different place, there's almost always that elite cricket as a sort of, and you could almost be trying to run that cricket up into that test match series or whatever. Um, I think that's just the main... because scheduling is clearly a problem. It is. There's, there's, there's too much cricket at every level actually for everything to be smooth in terms of how it works. Um, and I suppose actually that's where one issue of yes, while there are still multi-format players, I suppose once upon a time England kind of just had a team, and all countries just had a team. They didn't yes. really. And actually now, whereas you might have had fifteen players pulled out. For large parts of the season, you end up with like twenty-five players pulled out currently. Um, yeah, you do. Yeah, and I don't know how you get around that. But elite, smaller, smaller competition for elite first-class cricket. Yep. Feel like it's the way to go. Um, I think. Do you think there's any chance for happening to finish us yeah, off? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the momentum behind it has now reached a critical mass, actually, where I think... I, I don't know when we'll see it. 
Like, it's it's not going to be for the summer of 2022. Oh, absolutely not. I don't think it's going to be for the summer of 2023 either. But 2024, maybe. Yeah, I think there's clearly a lot of pernickety little bits, niggly bits about this that... The ECB are probably going to effectively have to pay the counties off to allow this to happen. They're going to need to try and find some way to get more money to give to the counties. Yeah. I feel like is the only way that that's going to work. So that's going to take a bit of time and they're going to have... They've already got tours arranged and things like that. So they're going to have to, for scheduling reasons, they're going to have to take a bit of time for that. But I think... I think it will come. I'm just, I'm not even that confident it will be in 2024, is, is, is my word. Yeah, it was, uh, my 2024 was a maybe. Yeah, um, um, it, it's one of these... But I think in five years' time, there will be a premier first-class competition. Yeah. Or do you bin counties? Or like some county that that's possibly, but that's a, that's a total another chance. Yeah. So let's not open that can of worms. Yeah. We're at an hour and twenty minutes on this. Episode, well, I so apologise to everybody for listening up. to us all ramble on about England and their woes. But um, as always, let us know on Twitter what your thoughts are or on the comments below if you're watching us on YouTube Um, let us know what your thoughts are on the English domestic structure would you keep it the same would you change it do you agree with an elite competition how did you feel were we too harsh on certain players were we not generous enough on others for our Ashes player ratings let us know in the comments or at DibDobPod on Twitter remember to like subscribe was it hit that notification bell is apparently the other thing we have to say on YouTube all right yeah. Do it. Hit that notification bell so that you know when we send out a new video. Hit that bell. Yeah. That was what my kids were telling me. All right. I was going <laughs> to say, I feel way too old to be saying hit that bell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, if that's what the kids are saying. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Like, subscribe, have a chat with us. Um, and and, and sh- I think another thing is just if you can give us a share. Whatever social media platform, well, we're only on Twitter, so not whatever social media platform you're on. Well, if you want to post it on Facebook and tell your friends on Facebook, then. Well, yeah, because they can come and watch us on YouTube. So it would be great to have some more listeners or watchers or whatever you are. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you next week, maybe. I don't know. Next week? I should be next week. I think next week. Yeah. Unless Andrew's gone blind or something. Might have an eye patch on. I might. I don't know, I might be still be swe- uh, still be wearing sun specs come <laughs> next week. But <laughs> oh, well, I'll be joined by Andrew Wonder in yeah. our next episode. <laughs> well, yeah, so until then, thank you for joining us, and um, bye. Bye-bye.